Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Matt and I are going to be talking about the mountain bike community. You know, mountain biking has a lot of momentum going into 2019, but if we're honest, there are things that all of us can do to make our sport even better. Whether you're new to the mountain bike community or you're comfortably established, we want to reflect on some ways to give back during this season of giving. If mountain biking had a wish list for Santa, I guess these are the things that would be on it. So we're going to be talking about a number of different ways that all of us can give back to the community, but I wanted to summarize all of this into four easy action steps that we can all remember and hopefully take with us. And we'll be covering each of these again throughout the show, but basically we can all speak, we can give, we can share, and we can help. And a lot of this stuff is going to be really easy to do. Maybe you're already doing it or it sort of comes as second nature, but This is the kind of thing, though, where we all should probably talk about this at least once a year and make sure that we're all doing our best. So, Matt, I wanted to start off by talking about trails and how we can create a community around trails and give back to the trails as a mountain bike community. So you recently investigated trail funding for a two part series on the website. How how do mountain bike clubs generally raise money for trails? Well, well, there ended up being quite a bit of different sources of, of revenue uh, for funding. I mean, first, we're pretty much all familiar with membership uh, revenue. So, you know, you sign up for your local chapter, uh, you pay a membership fee. Sometimes you get maybe some extra socks or a shirt or something like that. But really, I mean, you're just, you're donating to the trails. Um, your money is going towards building trails. You know, usually there's a little bit of an overhead there to cover administrative duties and a membership platform. But this is probably the most widely recognized form of funding is, you know, membership. People sign up for a membership and some of their money goes to trails. But it also is not the most, you know, it's not the biggest source of revenue for chapters. Another source of funding was grants. um, And these can like often be really, really huge sources of revenue. I talked to Gary from Comba, the Colorado Mountain Bike Association, and and we have one in, in Colorado. It's by Colorado Parks and Wildlife that is a trail use grant and that goes up to like two hundred fifty thousand a year. Um, not every year, but you know that's when it is. That can be a huge, huge source of funding. And then another form of grants, one that Vermont is doing uh, with their model. You know, they have local chapters and then a state overhead, a state administration that serves everybody. So when you sign up for a local chapter, half your membership dues go to a headquarters at, at Vimba. And they're taking at least half of that and then putting it towards a trail grant that each chapter can apply mm-hmm. to receive. And so I think this year they came up with like over 100 or 120000 for this trail grant that gets divvied up back into chapters. Mm-hmm afterwards so yeah another big source of funding donations so private donors uh, maybe a local chapter partners with a bike manufacturer that's local and that uh, manufacturer will give back some profits to the local uh, club so yeah if you're buying a bike from some of these companies you're sort of indirectly supporting the trails and supporting the mountain bike community yeah exactly I know Yeti is a big sponsor of Comba uh, out here. And they just had some Instagram posts the other day about Giving Tuesday and them giving to Imba and Comba. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think Trek for a while or one of the bigger companies was donating like a fixed dollar amount. It was like 10 bucks per bike to Imba maybe. But yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's still going on. Yeah, and those can be really huge for uh, trail organizations too, uh, because obviously they have, the brands have deeper pockets than most people mm-hmm. and 
can usually front a lot more money than the average person can. Yeah. So one of the really interesting things that we found a few years ago, uh, we surveyed single tracks readers and according to our analysis, about 45% of mountain bikers don't donate anything at all to their local trails. They donate $0 per year. So that's one way that about half of us can step up and, and start donating and any amount helps for sure. Um, I think a lot of clubs too, we'll talk about this later, but beyond your money, I mean, just, just having you on board and, and having the influence of a large group of mountain bikers goes a long way in, in what they're trying to do. So for, I think for a lot of these groups, they would like your money just as much as they would just like your participation. So if you can give them five bucks, that's, that's going to help more than just your $5, uh, because they can say, Hey, look, in our community, we've got 5,000 mountain bikers that are supporting us and Mm -hmm. they want these trails to be built. And a lot of times that'll, that'll go a long way. Yeah. And I think, I mean, even I was guilty of this up until I was actually doing this story and then doing the story and looking at like funding, like inspired me to finally get a membership to my local organization. Oh, nice. And I mean, yeah, because like once you learn like how many challenges that most of these clubs are facing just to get money and how to how expensive it is to even build a trail, mm-hmm. you know, and there's so many people already on the trails here already that like really the only way to displace that is by building more trails and who doesn't like new trails, right? but they need money to actually make it happen. Yeah. The, the average that we found in that same survey was 80 bucks that people gave every year. And that would be spread among a number of organizations. Some people will give to like their local club and then maybe there'll be like a separate fundraiser where they give, but the median donation. So the one that is in the middle, right? So half the people gave more, half gave less is $20. So again, we're not talking about a lot of money, especially when you look at what mountain bike stuff costs. I mean, for sure. That's the cost of what, like three tubes. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know nobody uses tubes anymore. So it's, it's stands. It's, you know, a few refills of stands worth, Yeah, which is nothing. We, we blow through that all the time. Yeah. And, uh, one of the things that Comba just switched to doing out here is by spreading it out at a monthly rate. So you can choose like, Hey, I want to donate 60 bucks a year. And then it's going to take out five bucks out of your bank account every month. And so it's not like, I mean, it's so much easier to, to spread out. And yeah, you're talking about all these different ways that clubs get money. So all of us, I think, I think you mentioned fundraising events. So a lot of clubs will put on races or, you know, they'll host some kind of auction or whatever, you know, show up to that stuff and Mm -hmm. buy a raffle ticket and participate in a race. A lot of clubs are doing really well by either partnering with a big race that takes place in their area or they're putting on their own race. And in that situation, you know, you should support it and should go out and, and race and you're going to meet people too, which is a big part of community. I don't even know if I can think of like one race that I've signed up for where there's not a note that like 5% or 10% goes back into like the local trails. It's, it's yeah. almost pretty typical of like any race to give back to the trails that they're actually on. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, you know, a lot of us, we, we tend to think of trail access as being free, like, cause every time you roll up, it's, you don't have to pay like an entry fee. Some places you do, if it's like a state park or yeah. somewhere like that. But for the most part, where a lot of us do like our main rides, uh, there's no cost to doing it. And so we tend to think of it as being free and like the trails are just there and we can take advantage of them. But really it takes a lot of work to build trails and hopefully people understand that um, once they've been in the sport for a little while. So, so don't be a freeloader, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. I was just at a trail this past weekend in Florida and they had, they had a lot of really entertaining signs up all over the place. And um, one of them was they have a sign that says, before you complain, have you volunteered? Which I think some of us have probably seen that one. Cause yeah, we love to go out to a trail and be like, Oh, why did they make the trail this way? Or like somebody should come out here and clean this up. <laughs> yeah. And you know, sure. it's like you, that's, that's us. And then they also had a, a sign that said, there's no such thing as trail fairies. Again, like the same idea that somebody's not going to just come in and like clean up after us or make the trails better. It's, it's all of us working together. That's going to make that happen. For sure. 
Yeah. And a note on that cost also, you know, saying maybe like 40 or 50 bucks a year, you know, even if anybody does one day of lift serve riding like per year, they're usually paying 50 bucks yeah. for a lift ticket in the summer. Anyway, you're paying 50 bucks per day to ride on. I mean, granted those are groomed trails, but the money is like, you can see the difference that the money makes on a lift serve trail. And that's 50 bucks a day that you're paying when, you know, yeah, 50 bucks a year that can make a difference on, on your public trails. Yeah, that's true. That's a really good way to look at it. How much farther the money can go when it, it goes to one of these nonprofit organizations. I mean, obviously the resorts are pricing the lift tickets based on, you know, how much work it takes to maintain trails and build trails. And so that does give us a good idea of just how expensive and difficult it is. Yeah, absolutely. So another thing along those lines uh, beyond funding is just general advocacy. And we've been seeing a number of calls for this. I mean, we see them pretty regularly, um, at least like once a month or definitely several times a year um, where there'll be some legislation or, you know, it might be local, it might be national um, where we're we're seeing people asking us, it'll be IMBA or maybe it's a local club asking members of the mountain bike community to support trails or to, you know, speak up and voice their opinion to our representatives. Does this, does this even do anything, Matt? I mean, it seems like it, right? Um, that news story that you sent me this morning where, uh, up in the Bitterroots, they had a, a petition for comments and, I forget who it was, maybe somebody in the Forest Service said that they had received way more comments from mountain bikers than they expected, right? I guess the first round, my understanding is this is the Bitterroot issue in Montana. And the first round where they asked for comments, there were 250 anti-bike comments. And there were only a handful of you know mountain bikers who said, no, we would like you to keep the trails open to mountain bikes. And that whole process was done incorrectly. And so there was kind of a do-over in this situation. And so the San Diego Mountain Bike Association actually sent out a call. Emba did as well, um, asking mountain bikers to submit comments. And the San Diego Mountain Bike Association, their goal was to get 5,000 comments, you know, and just basically blow everybody out of the water. Because 250 anti-bike comments, that's still not a lot. I mean, it's still like, ah, who cares? Maybe nobody cares. So that was a big goal. They ended up, according to that article, with over 3,000 comments, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is huge. And and again, they, the Forest Service said most of them were from mountain bikers. So that alone just shows you it doesn't take a lot. I mean, if just a few of us do it, it can make a difference. And, and that's not to say like, oh, don't do it because somebody else has got it. You can see what happens when we kind of are asleep at the wheel and don't do anything, you know. Yeah, but at least with all those, you know, signatures and comments, you know, they said they were surprised at the the turnout, but at least they know that like mountain bikers care enough and are making their voice heard so that their concerns are heard like in the, in, uh, in this period. Yeah. Yeah. It was surprising. I mean, they said they're reading every single comment and they do take it very seriously. There was another, there was a local case here earlier this year, uh, with the Roswell area mountain bike organization Rambo, which is one of my favorite acronyms for a mountain bike club. <laughs> yeah. But there there's a trail in the area called Big Creek and you know it's a popular mountain bike spot. And basically somebody came up with this proposal to build this like massive tennis center that was going to destroy all the trails and it was going to be a big project. Like some private donors were planning to spend like tens of millions of dollars to build these trails just basically to give it to the or not the trails, the tennis courts. And they were going to give this facility to the city. Oh, man. And so it's like, duh. You know, I mean, how could the city say no to that? Um, but mountain bikers mobilized. And I mean, within it was less than a week, I think the city backed down because they got like thousands of comments from mountain bikers. And they're like, yeah, we didn't realize how popular this place was uh, for mountain bikers. So we're not going to not going to mess with it. That's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, there's definitely plenty of cases where mountain bikers are able to get a win like that. And a lot of times people try to make it really easy for us to do that. So like this, in this Bitterroot case, the San Diego Mountain Bike Association set up a website where they had like a pre-formatted response that you could submit. Basically, I think you just had to put in like your 
name and phone number and maybe email or something. And then you could just submit this like form letter. So on the one hand, you could do it really easily. If you, if you've only got like two minutes, you can help out. But that article that we read made it sound like maybe it would be even more effective if you actually wrote your own comments, right? Right. Yeah. Because now they have to go through and sort, sort through 3,100 comments and make sure there aren't any duplicates or people are just copying and pasting from, from, uh, you know, and sending from different sources, a phone or a tablet or whatever. Yeah. And that surprised me because, I mean, I guess I just assumed that <laughs> there's sort of a vote, right? If they're like, well, we got, right. We got 2000 people that say yes, mountain bikes. And we got 1000 that say no. So mm-hmm. yes wins, but they explicitly said that's not the case that what they really want is to get multiple perspectives and to get make sure that they're not missing anything like in terms of making the decision. And so, right. so I guess the takeaway is that if you, if you don't have any time at all, like at least just submit the stock, you know, pre-formatted response and, you know, at least your voice or your, your vote will be counted. Yeah. But if you do have the time, make some uh, time to, to write down your thoughts and be thoughtful about it and someone will listen to it. One other thing that we hear about, or one of the questions we get from people a lot is, how do you connect with other mountain bikers? A lot of people, especially when they're starting out, tend to ride alone, or uh, maybe they just don't know anybody else who's into mountain biking. And so what what are some of the ways, Matt, that you found to build community in terms of mountain biking? Like, how have you been able to connect with other riders? Yeah, this is a tough one. You know, when I started, like, my I had one friend that got me into it. And then he was like the only person I rode with for, you know, years. Mm-hmm. And then I, well, actually, you know, what? one of the ways that we met other riders is like going to Moab and catching a shuttle, like up mm. to the whole enchilada or whatever. And we'd always meet people like on a shuttle oh, yeah, and meet. Yeah. Like we still had friends this day that we met like on a shuttle just cause usually, you know, you start at the same point and then, I mean, often you're leapfrogging over them, like the whole ride down or whatever. So I think that was probably like one of the next ways that I met other mountain bikers. Aside from that, like meetup.com, like yeah, probably anywhere has other mountain bike groups. Yep. I used to do that a few years ago. I haven't gone on any meetup rides in a while, but I used to meet people on that and races. Yeah. I think I've got a solid like group of friends that I met just racing, mm-hmm. usually enduros that you're on the transfers with and, you know, complaining about the climb or whatever. And <laughs> it's a good form of camaraderie. And a lot of them out here were like so regional that, you know, I always met people that lived back in Denver and always wanted to ride and were sort of into like the same style of riding that I was. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, it, it's hard. I think a lot of us are introverts, a lot of people that are drawn to mountain biking. And so yep, I am. it can be harder to like, form connections and meet other riders. And it's also like a sport that not a lot of people do. I mean, in your town, well, Matt's in Colorado. So everybody, everybody mountain bikes out there, but (laughs) it seems like it. Yeah. If you live in, you know, Illinois or you're, you know, down here in Georgia, even it's not like, you know, your neighbors ride and like your kids at your school, like all their parents ride, like it's not like that. And so it does take some effort, but like Matt said, there are so many ways that you can connect with other people. So racing is a good one. Even if you're not competitive, even if you just like to go out and have a good time, it's a great chance to meet other riders. And I think too, people maybe just imagine that like you just meet people like out at the trail on a Saturday and like, that's, that can be kind of awkward. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you're not going to just come up to somebody and be like, Hey, how's it going? Want to ride together? Want to be my friend? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I definitely recommend doing things like, like joining a race, look for group rides and meetup is a great opportunity for that. You know, other social media channels as well. Get involved with your local club. So you can go to a, out to a trail work day or a lot of clubs host social events as well. Um, so you can, you can meet people that way. Basically, yeah, any go to a festival, any event where a lot of mountain bikers get together. Yeah, um, festivals. You know, you can you tend to find other people that way. And then if you're if you're the leader type, you can start a group ride and just put it out there and 
and do it every week and people will start showing up and you'll get to know them pretty well that way pretty quickly. Yeah. A lot of bike shops too will offer group rides. I know one that I usually go to in the summer, they always do one. I think like every, maybe it's like every other Sunday or something, but they usually always put it out on Facebook and chances are, you know, if you're new to mountain biking, like some of the other first mountain bikers you meet are going to be the people at your local bike shop because you need help because maybe you broke something. And at least you have somebody that you know that you can go out with. And usually, I mean, they're like pretty low pressure rides. That's a good point that there's like different types of rides. So again, you might be intimidated if you've never done one of these, but look for rides that are no drop rides, meaning like mm -hmm. people aren't going to just leave you if you're slow. Yeah. Um, Cause there are, there are different types. There are drop rides where people are just out there to hammer and those are not good rides to meet people on. Um, you, <laughs> so avoid those if you can. So yeah, we did a whole episode on group rides and I think we also did a show probably about this whole topic of, you know, how do you meet other people to ride with and, and make friends. So definitely check that out if you're, if you're feeling lonely or, you know, you want to get connected to the community, but you're not really sure how there are definitely good resources out there. Yeah. So moving beyond the trails, I wanted to talk about another form of community that a lot of us are familiar with, and that's online community. And, you know, Single Tracks was formed for this very reason. Leah and I started Single Tracks almost 20 years ago now, uh, back in the early days of the internet, to help people find mountain bike trails. And we've sort of expanded that mission to, you know, sharing all the mountain bike information that inspires epic adventures. So like gear reviews and travel reports and how to's and all that kind of stuff. But at the core, our mission has always been helping other people get the most out of mountain biking. So with that in mind, you know, it is a community and it's, you get out of it what you put into it. So Matt, you've been a part of the single tracks community for a little while um, and officially for a little bit less time, but what, what have you found about the single tracks community? What, what did you first sort of come to the site looking for and, and what have you found that you can get out of it? So originally, I think my join date or whatever says at some point in 2012. So that was like a year after I started mountain biking. And wow, old timer. I had probably just went on like looking where to ride and looking for, it was probably like honestly in anticipation of like a trip to Moab and I was like, where should I go ride? And so I ended up on single tracks. But the community on here is like, I think the online community on single tracks is probably one of the best like as far as mountain bike sites go like people talk to each other a lot people are nice to each other a lot within the site <laughs> maybe not always on like facebook threads but like within the actual site like you know people are, are pretty great on uh, single tracks and engage with each other and are nice with each other and actually treat people with respect and i mean there's always something new in the forums uh, people looking for advice people giving advice like I need to be more active on the forums because again, like I'm an introvert, even on the internet sometimes where I don't <laughs> like talk as much as I should, yeah. but I mean, there's always like good stuff in the forums and I think that's, yeah, like good information. People are being good to each other. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, like I said, the, and the way you found single tracks was through the trail information and a lot of people know us for that, but I guess some people maybe don't realize that all the trail information on single tracks is, has been generated by the community over the years, you know, for the past 20 years, people have been, uh, sharing their photos and their reviews. And, you know, when a new trail opens up in their area, they go on single tracks and they add that trail info and, you know, share a map and all that stuff. And so it is totally community driven. And if you're somebody who, who goes on the site and you're like, ah, they don't have the trail that, you know, is my local trail or whatever, you know, it's sort of like the joining your local club. I mean, if you haven't participated yet or, or there's something you don't like about it, um, you can definitely do something about it. And we love having just, you know, a diverse group of people from all over the world really contributing to it. You know, I mean, it's almost, a, it's a, it's almost like a Wikipedia, you know, if you think about how crazy that is, that there's this like really useful resource that people around the world have built up over time. I mean, that's, that's essentially what we're doing with trail information. And we love having people uh, contribute to that. 
Yeah, I I used it again when I was before I was going to Whistler for Crankworks. Like I started a, a forum thread and was just like, hey, like I know I don't want to ride bike park all week long. You know, what are some of the trails I should get on outside of the bike park? And somebody made I think maybe three or four suggestions, and I ended up riding like two of them. And they were more of the like classic rides in Whistler to where like if you just look at like a topical map of trails in Whistler, it looks like you know, a bowl of spilled spaghetti and <laughs> there's a ton of trails there, but you just don't know what to ride. So if you can actually narrow it down by somebody who's, you know, maybe been to that area that you're going to, it's, it's pretty useful. Yeah. That's great to hear. Yeah. And one of the things that we see too, I mean, millions of people visit single tracks every year, but it's pretty consistent from year to year, like less than 1% of those visitors actually contribute to the database in any way. And I'm not even talking about like adding a photo. I mean, just like creating a list of trails you've ridden or building a trail wish list. Um, most people are just there to like get info and leave. And that's, you know, that's not a way to build community. It's, it's difficult mm -hmm. to do that. And, and I understand why people would feel disconnected too, if that's kind of how they, they use online resources, not just single tracks, but all kinds of websites and, you know, opportunities. So the opportunities are, are out there to build community and to get to know people. Um, but we just have to take advantage of them. One of the other things that we hear a lot too, is we have like a best trails list, uh, that we've created over the years and we share it from time to time. And of course, you know, there are always complaints. People are like, why, why is this trail ranked higher than this trail? Or that's not the best trail in my state. And it's all based on what the community tells us. And so, if you disagree with what we've found there, then, you know, speak up and let us know because that's the only way we're going to know. Like Matt and I, yeah. we wish we could ride every trail in the world, but it's not going to happen anytime soon. So we definitely rely on the community a lot to get that information. For sure. So over the last few years too, we've, we've done a lot more creating original content for the website, writing articles and Matt and I and Jero and tons of other people work to create fresh new content every day. And one of the ways that we can sort of foster community around that is to have people comment. You know, we, we write the articles based on what we think that readers want to hear about. And again, it's a, it's like a back and forth thing that mountain bike community is not, it's not like a top down thing, which I think is really cool. And why people gravitate toward the sport. You know, it's not like your job where there's like, there's like the boss and he like makes all the rules and the decisions, you know, mountain biking is, it's organic, right? It's like bottom up and, and it's a community. It's, it's totally different. So I think sometimes people feel like publications like single tracks are sort of telling them what to think or like that we, we have like a lock on all the knowledge and, it's actually the opposite of that, you know, like we want to hear more from the readers about what they're into and, you know, let us go like investigate that stuff and look at it and, and try to understand it and share that out then with a, a lot of other people. Yeah, for sure. I think like we all work really, really hard to be a hundred percent right on <laughs> every story we do, but we definitely don't get there because we're human and yeah, I like it. Reader comments are important. Like one, they keep us in check, make sure that, you know, we're putting out correct information or, um, you know, we're getting, giving readers like what they want. Cause in the end it's, you know, like the site's really nothing without readers or viewers. So yeah, definitely let us know, like definitely let us know if we do a good job, but, uh, <laughs> also, also if we mess something up, like let us know because, you know, I've had comments like that and it helps me to actually steer the ship in the right direction if I do get something wrong. Yeah. And a thing that a lot of readers maybe don't recognize too, is that, you know, a lot of the story ideas that we get, they're not, they're not just our own stories. Like we don't have, we're not telepathic. So like, we don't, we don't always know when there's an awesome new trail, you know, the ones we do know about it's because someone took the time to write an email and say, Hey, you ought to check out the trails in Bentonville, for example. Mm -hmm. And again, it's the community, it's a conversation and it's not, it's not like we're, you know, just out there driving around in our cars, like looking for cool trails or like <laughs> beating the bushes because there are so many great stories out there. But for us to, to know about them, it requires a, 
a back and forth and people letting us know when there's good news in their community or, or there's a new trail being built. A lot of us want to see that local content, but, but the, we need your help to uncover it. Yeah, we're a very, very small portion of, <laughs> uh, of mountain bikers and we definitely get, or we don't get exposure to everything that's out there. So, yeah. And so, yeah, we want to always want to do our best to support the community, especially, you know, celebrating successes and, and helping with challenges as well. Mm-hmm. A couple other things while we're asking that we can all do to sort of like help each other out is on our homepage on single tracks, there are the stories that we think that, that people are going to be interested in. And on a lot of these, there's like a little button that says upvote or downvote. And you can just click that. You don't have to have an account. You don't have to have anything. Just just click it. And that lets us know like you like that content or you don't like it. And then there are other ways on the site as well where you can rate photos. Uh, you can, again, write comments. And that helps us decide what kind of stuff that we're going to do in the future. And in a lot of cases, we tailor the content uh, to the reader as well, um, sort of automatically. So cool feature if you didn't know about it already. Yeah. And then finally too, um, publications like single tracks, you know, we exist mostly through advertising revenues. And so a lot of people these days are using ad blockers on the internet. And according to our sort of survey, a recent survey, we think about 40% of people are using ad blockers when they're reading single tracks, which is a pretty, pretty big chunk. And so again, you know, if you enjoy what we're doing, then one of the ways you can give back and help out is just turning your ad blocker off just for single tracks. We'll try not to be annoying. And we know, actually, we know that the ads can be annoying sometimes and we do our best to avoid that. And the way we do that is again, people, People email us and they say, hey, this ad is super annoying. And nine times out of 10, we just turn it off because we don't want to annoy people at all. Yeah. Or, you know, have something that's not going to make it pleasurable to be on the website at all either. Right. So, yeah, we're, we're the same as you. Like, we're in it with you, too. Like, we hate seeing annoying ads. Fortunately, it's part of the business model that online publications have all the mountain bike publications. So, again, if you like reading it and it's helpful to you and beneficial, then think about the ways again, that you can give back to your online community. Well, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about ways that all of us can support the mountain bike economy. Stay tuned. You can't see me, but I'm wearing an awesome single tracks hat right now. It's actually the reason my voice sounds so amazing. Okay. So maybe not, but you never know until you get a hat for yourself. Go to shop.singletracks.com to find Singletracks hats, t-shirts, stickers, tubular headwear, and can coolers. Shipping is free within the USA, and your purchase helps support the Singletracks podcast. That's shop.singletracks.com, and thank you for your support. And we're back. So the next thing I wanted to talk about, the ways that we can all give back to the sport of mountain biking. Again, we're talking about the sport of mountain biking, sort of the community around the sport Um, and all the things that make it great. Uh, The other way we can give back is through where we spend our money. So Matt, we hear it a lot. People say you should support your local bike shop. What's sort of the argument there, especially when online shopping is becoming just so much more commonplace. And I mean, frankly, it's convenient and economical. Yeah, this is a tough one. Like one that I definitely struggle with too. You know, I'm sure everybody's been into a bike shop and seen, was looking for a set of pedals recently and in the bike shop they were 60 and on amazon they were like 40 and i was like well that's (laughs) you know i mean it's a tough call to make you can save 20 bucks for the same same thing yeah i mean clearly there's a markup when you're buying from a retail space but you know i mean they've got jobs they've got a bike shop to support they've got a community to support so you know i mean is everything that you have to buy through the bike shop Uh, maybe not but you know, if you're regularly a customer there, then, you know, it might make sense to spend some more dollars there rather than Amazon. Chances are you can lump your bike shopping, bike component shopping into your grocery store trip too. And you've got a lower carbon footprint because you're not making the UPS truck uh, drive around extra stops. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. 
So, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of arguments to be made, but if you like your local bike shop, then maybe it makes sense to uh, spend more of your dollars there versus the invisible person at Amazon. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And it's so tough because a lot of the retailers that we're buying from too, I mean, sure, we can get a lot of stuff on Amazon, but there's also, you know, cycling specific retailers. There's Jensen USA and you know, I'm sure they're huge. I'm sure they give back a ton to their local community. Um, might not be everyone's local community, but at least there are people with jobs and they're supported in that way. And they're most of them, I assume are mountain bikers. So, so yeah, I mean, it's not all bad when you shop online, but what, I mean, what would happen though, if we didn't have local bike shops in our communities? I mean, what, what do they offer that I guess that the online retailers can't? Well, I mean, personally, like I would just have a bunch of bikes that don't work anymore and I'd have to keep buying new bikes because I don't know how to fix it. And like, you know, like you and I both have a lot of mechanical experience from reviewing parts and stuff, but you know, I'm a writer, not a a bike mechanic. So I have to go in there with questions all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It would be like, what if, what if all the auto repair shops in your town shut down? Like what, (laughs) what would any of us do? I mean, we'd just have a bunch of broken cars. (laughs) right yeah junkyards of of bikes that would be awful there's definitely been a downsizing of bike shops i think that's been in the news for like a little while with direct to consumer getting big online shopping getting bigger like i know bike shops have sort of thinned out the economy sort of taken its its toll on on some of them at least you know we mentioned it in some of the earlier segments about how bike shops, a lot of them are giving back to trails. I mean, they're the big donors that we talk about when we talk about supporting local bike clubs beyond just, you know, paying their $50 a year. A lot of these shops are giving a portion of their proceeds to the the local trail group or they're, you know, they give a big donation every year because again, it's a symbiotic relationship. I mean, if they're great trails, in the community, then that helps them sell bikes. And, you know, if there's a a good shop, then that helps pay for the trails. So definitely is something not to overlook in your local community. And then we also talked about how you can meet other mountain bikers through your local bike shop. So whether it's a group ride or maybe, you know, maybe you make friends with one of the mechanics. I mean, everybody who works in a bike shop they love bikes. I mean, that's why they do it. And so you're going to find some of the most dedicated cyclists in your community right there. Yeah. There's a definite connection between bike shops and trails. I know when I was interviewing Tom Stucey from Vermont Mountain Bike Association, he was saying the bike shops are their biggest spokesman for membership and bringing awareness to the trails. Cause you know, they'll have Vimba pamphlets up at the counter, you know, and maybe just bring up membership as a talking point uh, when you're at the bike shop. And, you know, maybe it's one more thing they're trying to sell you indirectly, but it's not a bad thing to be sold at all. Yeah, definitely. Right. I mean, it's it's a visual cue to people in the community, too, that like bikes are important or, you know, the fact that there's a shop lets them know like there are people out there who who bike and whether that's on the trails or on the road. Um, it's, it's another way of just like making ourselves known and making our community known. And again, it could be a focal point. Yeah. So that leads to sort of the last thing that I wanted to talk about, which is growing the sport. So we hear this a lot in our job. Anyway, people talk about growing mountain biking and how we should do this or that because it's going to grow the sport. Why do we even talk about that? Why is that important? I mean, if, if you and I are good, like we've got trails to ride and we enjoy it, like what do we get out of mm-hmm. growing the sport or having more people participate? I mean, there's a, you know, a ton of different things, right? There's, um, I guess this was before my time mountain biking, but if we look at mountain bikes from 10 years ago and sort of see the technology that there was back then and the technology that there is now, because there's more people riding and there's more money in the sport, I think right now you're seeing better and better bikes, mountain bike specific trails that are being built. Mountain bike specific trails, I think is a huge one. Yeah. Um, because now, you know, people aren't just riding on hiking trails. People are riding on trails that are built for mountain biking and it's more fun to ride on. And that's because there's more people, beginners. And one of the ways to do that is to build beginner specific trails or, you know, more flow trails and, can debate about flow trails all day long, but I mean, sometimes they're really fun and 
they're definitely good for the sport. It's one way that you're going to bring more people into the sport. Yeah. That's a really good point that all of us are benefiting from the growth or, you know, at the very least the people who were involved in the sport before us and laid a lot of that groundwork. And like you said, a lot of the bikes are, are as good as they are because, you know, people will buy them. I mean, if there's not a market for these bikes, then companies aren't going to spend a lot of time making them. And the same time too, I mean, people will probably debate this and argue this, but, you know, based on some analysis we've done over the years, bike prices are actually lower than they've ever been before. And, and that, that trend continues every year, you know, maybe not like nominally lower there. We're talking real terms, right? Cause you had inflation and all that stuff. But if you look at the price for bikes, they're actually lower than they were in the nineties. And on top of that, you get way more performance out of them, way more tech. Um, and so again, that's like, there's scale issues, you know, if we can make more bikes it make, it's cheaper to make each one. And then there's also like sort of all, all that R and D that goes into it. And companies are willing to do that when there's a big group of people that can buy them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at specialty bikes, boutique bikes, which, you know, obviously have their segment of customers, they're typically a lot more expensive, but if you're looking at a brand like specialized or giant, you know, because of the scale that they produce on, they're able to produce much more capable bikes at a lower price. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, let's talk about some of the ways that mountain biking has the potential to grow or, or is currently growing. I mean, you mentioned beginners and getting people into the sport early. Nika is probably the best example of that right now, the high school mountain bike league and all of these, you know, it seems to be growing like crazy. Yeah. How does that benefit the sport and the community of mountain biking as far as you can tell? I mean, well, there's like another huge avenue that people can, uh, can discover mountain biking. Um, like for me, it was through a friend and I don't know, uh, I don't even know how he like discovered it. Maybe he went to a bike shop or something, but like it was so off the radar for me to like kind of come into it, you know, and of course in like high school and PE, you're like, Oh, you can play basketball or football. And I was like, well, I want to <laughs> play the sports, like, like individual sports. And, uh, I think for, you know, high schoolers that are going to school at a school that has a mountain bike program, like that's another huge option for somebody who's not interested in traditional sports. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're going to make a lot of friends. They're going to find like-minded kids. I mean, there's probably, there's probably groups now in, in high school, little cliques of mountain bikers, which is crazy. Like I, that, right. I mean, yeah, among my friends, there were a few of us who rode, but that wasn't like the unifying thing among us. And now that's a possibility. That's, that's pretty cool to see. And then we're also hearing that it's, you know, in a lot of cases it's bringing families together too, which, you know, who doesn't want that? That's, that's good for, I think all of us would agree that's good if we can get more families involved and, and doing things together. We're hearing that, you know, a high schooler will be like, Hey, I want to check out this mountain bike thing. A couple of my friends are doing it. They start racing and then their parents get bikes too. Cause they're like, Oh, we could do this as a family. And Nika says they're seeing a lot of first time adults getting into the sport, which is really cool and really cool to see such a positive activity that they can do as a family. Yeah, for sure. Well, the ski resorts are definitely playing like a huge part in family development too, I believe. Just, I mean, ski resorts have always been a big family destination. And now with summer lift serve riding and these bike parks, you're building a ton of beginner trails that you'll go to, you know, in my neck of the woods, it's trestle and you'll see a whole family on mountain bikes, like on a summer day. And yeah, I don't like 10 years ago, I don't think you would have, would have seen that, but it's normal to see in the winter. Like you go during March and ton of families out skiing on spring break, but now it's becoming more of like a summer family type of thing too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And another one of the things that we're seeing these days as a potential way to grow the sport is e-bikes. And I, a lot of long time mountain bikers maybe see it as the opposite. They see it as sort of the death of the sport. And there's like some, you know, pronouncements that this is going to get us banned from trails all over the country. But I mean, so far that doesn't seem to be the case, right? Yeah. And like, I've got a short story coming out about this too. And like one of the components of it is at least here in Jefferson County with like this huge booming 
population. They just went through like a year long trial with e-bikes and, you know, where there's already like most of the trails here. If you go during a summer weekend, like good luck riding for more than a mile or even a half mile without stopping and letting a hiker by. Like there's just a lot of people and it's just how it is. But by introducing e-bikes, like they have not seen enough negative impacts to not allow them after the trial. And, you know, they did support allowing them on, on multi-use trails after the trial period. And it's, it's official now. Yeah. Is that going to be everywhere? I don't know. Yeah. Which is surprising, surprising to me for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, this reminds me of the, the electric scooter scourge that's like hitting a lot of cities right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it's been controversial here in Atlanta. I mean, as it has everywhere and people complain about the scooters, you know, blocking the sidewalks and stuff. And I think I initially was, was like, oh, those are dumb. Like who needs those scooters? But talking with a lot of mountain bikers in my area, they were the same as me at first. We were like, oh, this is dumb. This is people shouldn't do that. And they're going to cause all these problems. But then the more we looked at it, the more we were like, well, actually these scooters, you know, they're using like bike lanes and basically they need the same infrastructure as cyclists do. And so mm-hmm. if people are out there like using bike lanes and, you know, trying to find other ways to get around, like maybe that can help us as bikers. And I think we'll see the same thing with electric mountain bikes where, you know, if we can get more people into the sport and more people who are advocating and even if they're not advocating, even if they're just like, you know, out there on the trail and you're seeing more people, then land managers are going to say, Hey, we need more trails. Like there's just too many people using the trails. I mean, that's like a, it's almost like a good problem to have because it just shows that there's demand for it and we're going to get trails more easily. I hope. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you have a bigger concentration of people on the same amount of trails. Like really the only way to alleviate that is to build more trails because people aren't going to stop going outside. Yeah. And I mean, I guess some would argue that maybe the way you deal with that is you just start eliminating user groups. There's too many people, so no more hikers. Um, but I mean, that's not going to happen. I think, I think communities, part of what we see too with growing the sport is that mountain bikers of the, as the years have gone by are now coming into more positions of power. So we're seeing like politicians and land managers, you know, people who work for the forest service, uh, they're mountain bikers now, you know, in the early days yeah, they were not. And so again, this is like a, it's like a go forth and multiply thing too, where like, like if we can grow the sport by just getting more people involved and, you know, seeing where they end up, you know, they're going to be in positions of power. They're going to be CEOs of a company. And so maybe then they're going to donate money to build trails or, you know, you look at Walmart and Bentonville. I mean, that's, that's how Bentonville happened is, was as a company. And it just so happens that some members of the Walton family are mountain bikers and they're like, Hey, this is a cool thing. We really like it. It's positive. Uh, we think it'll help us, you know, get employees to decide to move to Bentonville in the middle of Arkansas. I mean, yeah, I think that was a tough draw for them until, they were able to say like, look, we got cool stuff going on. Um, and so, yeah, it, it takes time, but growing the sport definitely can pay a lot of dividends. Yeah. And then those like Walton brothers just thought it was so cool that they put like $35 million towards a trail there or something like that. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, the more of us there are, the more chances that some of us will be in a position to really grow the sport and really benefit, you know, all the folks who, have been believers the whole time. Mm-hmm. So one final way that we're seeing the sport grow, or, or there's at least potential for growth and some of the companies are recognizing it is through diversity. So reaching out to groups who traditionally are, have not been represented in mountain biking or, or who maybe haven't been introduced to it even. Uh, what, are, what are some of the benefits that you see, Matt? I mean, is there, is there a case for making mountain biking more diverse? Yeah. I mean, I think like, again, it falls into growing the sport. You have more people just in mountain biking as a whole. It's not, I mean, for so long, obviously it's been white guys like you and me who are now of course sitting and talking about mountain biking. So maybe it has seemed like less inclusive to other groups over time. And like, yeah, I I could totally see why. And I feel like it's definitely changing. There's more brands pushing for 
a more of a variety of like types of people in mountain biking right now. Yeah. And I mean, just at a base level, like any community, it seems like a good thing to have like the ability for anybody to feel comfortable joining that community, you know, mm-hmm. I guess uh, that's the difference, I guess, between a community and a click. I mean, do we, do we want mountain biking to be a click or do we want it to be a community? And if, if we do want to be a community, then we probably need to look at how welcoming we are to all types of people and how easy it is for them to get into the sport. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Community versus a, a, a click. Yeah. And you know, we hear, we hear people refer to it as a tribe too, which I think it sounds cool, but it also sounds like a little intimidating. And so I think too, I see the benefits, you know, here in, at the local level. Um, again, you know, my, my mind is always toward like more trails, more trails, because that's what I love doing. I love checking out new trails and just seeing that, like the approval process for all of that too. I mean, there are lots of diverse communities around the country and, if these communities don't see the benefit or they don't see the sport as being something for them, then it's going to be hard for them to support it and to say, yeah, sure. You can build that trail or yeah, we're willing to set aside some taxpayer dollars maybe even to like make mountain bike trails happen and to maintain trails or whatever. But you know, if if it seems like it's a click and it's this like exclusive group, then we're not going to get a lot of outside support for the things that we want to do. Yeah. And on that note, um, again, like talking to some of these trail organizations, one of, one of the first things they're asked when they're applying for grants is who does this trail serve? And if they can say it serves more and more people, uh, or wider variety of people, then it's more likely they're going to see money for it. Hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting. Uh, but that makes sense. Hopefully from this conversation, it's obvious that Matt and I are really stoked about the mountain bike community and really stoked about how we can help improve it. And, uh, we'd love to have every one of you join us in helping to make the community better. And so again, like I said, at the beginning, you know, there are these action steps that all of us can take. We can speak up, we can, you know, take five minutes to submit a letter to your representative or sign a petition. The next time one hits your inbox or newsfeed, you can give, you can give to your local mountain bike club this year. And there's not a lot of days left in this year. So go ahead and make your 2018 donations. You can write it off on your taxes and then start planning for 2019 as well. And again, you know, this is not, we're not talking about a big cost here. We're talking about the amount of money you probably blow on tires or sealant or definitely less than you're going to spend on a race entry fee or, you know, even spending a day at the bike park. So do that first, give, give money to your club and then you won't feel guilty and you can have fun all year. Next, you can share something, share something on single tracks, share with a friend, you know, let people know like why mountain biking is so awesome. Don't keep it to yourself and just be like, Oh, I ride these cool trails and they're all for me. Tell people about them. Let people know where the good trails are and Maybe you'll have more people joining you the next time you're there. Finally, we can all offer help. So we can help out or encourage someone who's just starting out in mountain biking, whether that's a high school student or somebody at work, help them discover the sport, help them learn something new. You know, when we're on the trail too, that means help somebody out. If somebody's stopped on the side of the trail, I know we all hate to like stop our flow and, you know, actually take the time to talk to somebody, but, but it makes a huge difference. Talk to somebody. Don't just say like, are you good? Stop and ask them like, what, what's going on? Can I give you a tube? Can I help you out in any way? Cause a lot of times people don't know what they're doing. So that's all we've got this week. Hopefully there's some good action steps here for everybody to take. And we're all stoked to go out and do them, especially at this giving season time of year. Remember, you can be a part of the Single Tracks community by joining our newsletter, following us on social media, and of course, subscribing to our podcast. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Peace.